Last Sunday, I had mentioned that every gospel follows a flow, and especially the gospel of Matthew, as to how he introduces things and how he leads the reader to go from one section to another. And I'd like to go back to that when we look at the starting of the gospel of Matthew. When we take the first seven chapters, what Matthew is doing is introducing Jesus. And for a Jew, lineage is very important. Ancestry is very important. And that's why we have the only gospel, which is Matthew is the only gospel that gives us such a big emphasis on the lineage of Jesus. Because for a Jew, that is very important. And then you have Jesus calling his disciples, and then you have the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is the Beatitudes, and it goes right up till the end of chapter 7. So two chapter, three chapters rather are dedicated to the Sermon on the Mount. And that is what Matthew is trying to tell the people, this is the manifesto of Jesus. This is what he has come for, and this is the kingdom that he would like to proclaim. And therefore, the, the whole concept of the mountain is very symbolic, because we, we heard it in the gospel saying Jesus goes up a mountain. Now, first of all, research says there isn't really that many mountains during the time of Jesus. There may have been, but it doesn't make sense to climb up an entire mountain and have people follow you up and get so tired that nobody will be interested in listening to what you said. So the mountain is very symbolic, because for a Jew, the mountain is the meeting place between God and man. It is the mountain that, on the mountain that Moses met God, and it is on the mountain that the Ten Commandments were given. And therefore, before we come to that, another concept that we need to understand in the context of Matthew's Gospel is the Messiah. The people were waiting for a Messiah. The Messiah would be the second Moses. So, the first Moses help the people escape the Egyptians. Now the new Moses, that is what the Jews were waiting for, would help them free themselves from the rule of the Romans. And like Moses, not only taking them out of Egypt, he would also give them a new law. So while the law was in existence, the new Messiah would give them a new law. And that is who Jesus is to Matthew. He is the new Messiah. He is the second Moses. And he is the one who's going to bring the people, set the people free. But not necessarily a political freedom, it was more an internal freedom. And therefore, the law and the mountain have to both be considered important in the context of Matthew. So the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus, for Matthew, fulfilling what was expected of people, the new Moses. And therefore, we see it in the Gospel of Luke, you have the Sermon on the Plain. Similar message, but it's on the plain, which means it's more symbolic rather than actual facts. So when we look at it in this context, we see that Jesus is teaching his disciples what his mission is. And therefore, he practices what he preaches. And at the end of chapter 7, at the beginning of chapter 8, you have almost six miracles that are mentioned back to back, which means now Jesus is putting whatever he has taught his disciples into practice. And even it's mostly for the disciples because when we see it in the gospel, the disciples follow, come to Jesus. They follow him and they come to him. But at the end of chapter 7, you say, 
everybody was astonished by what he said, which means it's particularly for the disciples and anybody who was willing to listen and willing to be part of that sermon was also welcome. So the theme behind everything is that if we are disciples of Christ, then are we also willing to follow what Jesus is asking of us? And that's what we will see when it comes to Jesus and the law. Jesus was never against the law. He was against the Pharisees and people who were proclaiming the law, but not really living it. They were practicing the law to the letter, but none of them were actually living it. And for Jesus, the law should transform you to the extent that you become somebody very different. It's not just the practice of the law, it is how does it help you relate with yourself, how does it help you relate with God, and above all, how does it help you relate with people. So if this is the context of the Beatitudes, of the Sermon on the Mount, then what are the Beatitudes? It's very difficult to really say these are the Beatitudes, but there are certain characteristics that are always helpful to understand in order for us to see how can I let the Beatitudes be part of my life. One very simple way of understanding it is they are B attitudes, attitudes that we need to have in our life. If we are going to stand and say, I am a disciple of Christ, what is the attitude I have towards life? And that's what we will see in the Beatitudes. So the Beatitudes, each one follows a flow. You have a blessing, you have an instruction, and you have a promise. So it's like saying the first one, the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. So blessed, the blessing, instruction, the poor in spirit, kingdom is theirs, is the promise. And when we look at the Beatitudes, there are eight Beatitudes, even though there's a ninth one added. It was basically added to make it a whole number because three and seven are biblical numbers. So there are really eight Beatitudes, and if you divide them, Four can be looked at as an internal disposition, and the other four would be looked at more as an external disposition, is how do you go out there and relate to others through that transformation. So the Beatitudes also allow us to experience God, to be transformed by God, and then to allow ourselves to express that experience in our lives. So when you have blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, and the sixth beatitude, which is the pure of heart. These are the four beatitudes that would come into the category of an internal disposition. It requires an inner transformation. A lot has to happen from within. And then you have the other four, which is four, five, seven, and eight, are towards external, which is those who thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are peacemakers, and those who are willing to accept persecution for the sake of the kingdom. And if you look at the flow of it, the first one seems to be the easiest one, and the last one the most difficult. But that's where our challenge is. So when we talk about these Beatitudes briefly, the poor in spirit is not poverty and sense not having. Poor in spirit is the need for God. They are poor in spirit, which is a poverty of God, and they need to fill themselves with God. Blessed are those who mourn is not being sad and crying and things like that. A mourning that comes from the fact that I don't have God with me and I am sad and I need to find ways in, in which I can find God back in my life. Then you also have those who are merciful, those who mourn, 
those who are meek, are all types of beatitudes that have something specific to it. So the meek is again, it's not being a person who's timid. It's not a call to be timid. Meek simply means that I need strength. God is my strength. Through God, I'm able to become strong again. Thirsting for righteousness takes on more social dimension, which is a faith that does justice. So the call before us today is when we take these beatitudes, which beatitude do you find yourself called to practice? I remember when we were doing our retreats, and the Beatitudes have been part of retreats very often, the retreat director told us, you make an effort to practice one Beatitude, and that will take up your entire lifetime. And above all, that is be the time when you will find the most amount of persecution in your life. Because to practice any one of these Beatitudes is difficult. But it requires the grace of God, and that is already with us, but the question is, which beatitude do I find myself called to practice and to make the attitude in my life? So we can make choices based on certain characteristics like, do I need a particular blessing in my life and choose a beatitude that would give me that blessing? Do I want to fulfill a certain promise? Do I choose a beatitude that gives me that promise? Is it a beatitude that I find myself attracted to with regard to the instruction? Is it a beatitude that I would like to challenge myself and say, okay, let me try to make this a part of my life? The choice is yours, and that is what today's Sunday's gospel is all about. It is to allow us to see what is the manifesto of Jesus, and if we are truly disciples of him, what attitude are we going to choose to have in our life? And the beatitudes are the ones that we can use to help us achieve this. Amen.